All right, welcome to Matthew, excuse me, Master Class Theology. We are in the book of 1 John. We are going to start tonight with a prayer because I, I got so excited last week. I was a bad pastor. I didn't open us up in prayer. What in the world? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for these dear souls, these wonderful men and women who have come here, Lord, to learn more about you. And I pray, Lord, that none of us fall into uh, what I like to call the seminary trap, that we, we spend all this time learning about you and we forget to actually get to know you and have a relationship with you. I pray that, that we would be challenged and encouraged tonight in your book in First John. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, on your papers, we are, the, the class tonight in First John is called If Then. Now, what I want us to do, I want to get us all talking. So you have a table moment around your tables here, okay? The great power of the if-then. So what I'd like you to do is I want you to recall a negative if-then and a positive if-then. A negative if-then from your past. You've all had parents, I'm sure. If you do or you don't or you will then. So consequences and that. So write down a a, a memorable if-then from your childhood or your past. Or maybe if you have kids or you babysit or whatnot, you've given an if-then. And then, then, I want you to write down a positive if then. So the first one is a negative. You're like, you're threatening them. If you don't clean your room, you're not getting a sandwich or whatever it is. A positive if then, what would be if you do this, then you're going to get. So I want you to think of the two sides of the powerful if then. And talk amongst yourselves. Share them at your tables. And we're going to spend just a few minutes. Get your, get your wiggles and heebie-jeebies out on your pencil, on your paper. Think about a positive if-then and a negative if-then. Do we have a really good negative if then? Who remembers a really funny one? Does anybody have a negative if then? Maybe from their childhood you can think it back to your mom or dad or something. Negative if thens are very much like consequences. Like you've crossed the line one final time and dad has had enough. Like if you do that one more time, then that's it. Who has a good negative if then? If you share it, I will continue. Go ahead. Yes, sir. If you don't get good grades, all right, wow. That, if you don't get good grades, you won't have a future. Well, that's, that is an if-then. All right. Do we have any other negative if-thens? If you do not do your chores, you will not get your allowance. If you do not do your chores... You will not see negative if thens. They are like consequences. And anybody who spent any time with a rebellious youth, 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 any time spending a kind of rebellious, like, oh, yes, you've got to give them consequences. If thens are beautiful. Any other negative if thens that you just, oh, I got to share this. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Nice. If you don't come home on time, you'll be grounded. I used to always get, oh my goodness, I, I'm the oldest sibling in my house. And so, oh man, I, I was always, my dad would always, I, I always got one last chance. That was the thing I always got. No, none of the other siblings got the one last chance like I did. 
But I always got, you have to be an example. You have to be an example. You have to be an example. So I got the if-thens that were negative. You know, if you don't stop this nonsense, you will not have the car keys tonight. <laughs> but I want to go out and with my friend. No, you will not. What is a good positive if-then? Yes, ma'am. If you do memorize God's word, then, okay, that's, you know, Psalm 119, I hide his word in my heart, therefore I might not sin against him. That's a great, great. What's another good positive? Who's ever lost weight or ever spent time in the gym? Your entire gym membership is a positive if then. If you actually use your gym membership. <laughs> oh, it's so comforting to have that card. Now that you have that card in your wallet, uh, I could go and I'll rest in the I could, but do I? That's the trick. The treadmills are always fullest in uh, February and January. Well, come April, May, June, you start to find them on Craigslist. If you count your calories, if you eat less calories than you, more going out than in, you will lose weight. If you put in the time, you will succeed in that regard. All things being equal, and they very rarely are in anything in life. Because we are all blessed with different metabolisms or whatnot. It's, I feel like I'm Oprah Winfrey with my weight. I'm like I have the accordion going in and out, in and out. But that's it. If you do the right things... You should have good results. A very positive if then. Got another positive one. If thens are powerful. If thens are powerful. They have a negative power and they have a positive power. We have three if-thens in our text tonight. We have the greatest if-then in human history. 1 John 1, 9. It is the greatest. It is no surprise. It just happened to work out this way. Today in the Jewish world, it's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. And we have the very basis of our Christian atonement in our passage tonight. Top 10 verses of the New Testament. Easy. If you're like, Joel, you got to tell me top 10 New Testament verses. Well, in the first five is 1 John 1, 9 somewhere. All right? You just can't skip it. I'm here as a Christian tonight because of 1 John 1, 9. It is by far the greatest at what it accomplishes. If you get nothing from our scripture tonight, your homework assignment, memorize 1 John 1, 9. If you have not already done that, do it. And don't tell me you can't memorize things. Please, you're still singing song lyrics from the 60s. You remember your music. You remember all these silly things. Memorize 1 John 1, 9. It will get you through hard times. All right, here we go. If then, 1 John 1, 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. Light does three things in our text tonight. Light reveals and darkness hides. Verses 5 and 6. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Who's the him, by the way? Who do they hear from? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, remember, John is the eyewitness. John is Jesus' boy. They are, they are dudes. They're close. They're, they are guys. Okay, they are, they, they are close buds. And John came last week and said he's the eyewitness. See, John's got some cats in his church that are dividing, that are trying to say, oh, we know better than you. We know what Jesus is all about. We, we, we know all about God. We know all about Jesus. You guys. And John's like, oh, hold on. I was there. You got my first book. Remember that? The book of John, the letter, his gospel letter telling you how to be saved. This is the sequel. John is that last Jesus person standing. John's facing a church about ready to die. 
close. The wolves are coming in and trying to take away the sheep. Light reveals and darkness hides. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. And see, here's John. This is the way, this is how John rolls. John's going to give you real simple terms. Like you can read this verse and go, oh, that almost sounds like a fortune cookie. Fine. Light and darkness, good and bad. Isn't that cute? It is cute. But it's also really, really powerful. And please, you go into a dark room, you get your flashlight. As long as there's batteries in that flashlight, you shine the light. What wins? Does the darkness just go and eat up the flashlight? No. That flashlight wins. The light always pierces the darkness. So John is here using very, very elementary school terms. But they still kick your butt. This is the ethics of God. This is who God is. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and don't live out the truth. Well, gee, John, tell us how you really feel. My goodness, don't hold anything back. Wow. So you're not going to be surprised tonight in our lesson that we're going to play off light and darkness. Light reveals, darkness hides. John 3, 19 to 21, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. This comes after John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the entire Bible. But I would argue John 3, 16 is not the most powerful verse in John 3. Because these verses here work me over. Because far too often in my life, I was a hypocrite. Holy moly. So I read these verses. I read John 3, 16. Oh, for God so loved the world. And I go, hee hee. But then I read these. This is the verdict. So this is your law and order. Dun, dun. Here it is. Light has come into the world. John's not bringing this light and darkness up off the top of his head. He's heard Jesus talk about this. Jesus who says, I am the light of the world. Light has come into this world, but people Love darkness, people agape. You like the word agape? All you Bible study people, people agape darkness. People love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Yeah, they're cockroaches. Go into a dark place and shine a light and and look what scatters and what skitters away. The mice and the cockroaches and the spiders. You shine the light and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. You see, that's your heart. That's my heart. Something about that when the light comes in, all that blessed hiding I wanted to do. I wanted to lie to all these people and fake like I was really, really on top of things. You all can't see into my heart. You don't know if I'm a hypocrite or if I'm not a hypocrite. I can't see into yours. Of all the Ten Commandments, you can't prove Commandment 10 in the court of law. Thou shalt not covet. Prove it. You coveted. Prove it. You can't. Because you can't look into the heart. Actually, how you prove that is that you, you, broke, you broke another commandment. You coveted. How do you know? Because you stole. You broke that commandment, so you broke that one. You coveted. How do you know? Because you committed adultery. You stole from that husband. Yeah, that, that, that's how you, I can tell you coveted, or, or X, Y, and Z. In your heart, John 3 ought to either bring you joy or it ought to terrify you. A great season of my life, it terrified the heck out of me. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. That's like the most terrifying thing for anyone who's trying to hide. If you knew the real me, you would never come back. If you knew the real me... This person would never fall in love with me if they knew the real me. This person would never be my friend if they knew the real me. You see, most of us don't have a problem giving God the real us. But we're terrified if somebody else were to find out. We hate the light. Because the light exposes, it reveals things. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. See, Jesus is saying that your only hope is to come into the light, as painful as it may be, so, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Light reveals, darkness hides. So your first if-then, 
If you claim, and this comes from verses 5 and 6, if you claim to know God, yet don't live godly, then you lie and don't really know God. That's like logic 101. If A, but B, not A. This hurts. This hurts. I hate this. In my struggle with sin, this, this hurts. If you claim to know God, yet don't live godly, then you lie and don't really know God. I remember when I, when my first time out of the country. Oh, I guess that's not true. The first time I went out of the country was on a technicality. It was a trip to New York and we saw the, uh, the, the United Nations. And that's technically international waters or something. So you're out of the United States. Okay. But the first time I actually went out of the country, went to Peru. Oh, man, Canto Peru. I love Peru. While I was there, they taught us I mean, when we go to visit places, the people are going to ask you when you show up there, you're there to practice your Spanish and get the culture. And they ask you, so where are you from? You don't say Illinois. In fact, I remember talking with somebody and they once told me, I had a great time growing up in Illinois. My response was, no, you didn't. Because <laughs> you don't say Illinois. Okay, my, my son is starting that now. There's a street in Des Plaines called Illinois. And he's like, why don't we say the S? Because you don't. You never say the S. But in Spanish, you might say the S. So they say, don't say Illinois. Don't, don't tell them Illinois. For God's sake, where, so where are you from, Mr. Gringo from the United States? Chicago. Chicago. That's right. You say Chicago. The very next thing every little kid said was, oh, you know Michael Jordan. I'm like, well, of course, he's Miguel. Of course I know Michael Jordan. Hey, hey, it used to be worse. They used to think it was Al Capone. Al Capone, yeah. So, you know what? In fact, I would later go to Trinity for seminary, and in Highland Park there, we knew where Michael Jordan's house was. The big 23 on the gates, you can't ever see anything but that. And then it's like, I, I, I'm just saying, I, I, I'm a lot closer to Michael Jordan than any of you are. You know? it's, but I don't know Michael Jordan, are you kidding me? That's the way it is with God. You're going to claim to know God, but you want to live in a way that Mo Carey, uh, Curling and Larry just pokes God right in the eye. Nyak, nyak. You don't know God. That if then hurts. And then the lie. See, here's the thing about this text. We don't know exactly what these uh, secessionary people, these ones who are trying to secede from the church, these bozos that were trying to get into John's grill. We don't know exactly what they, what they really meant. So all we can do is use the process of induction and work backwards, kind of reverse engineer their theology based upon how John comes at them with these if-thens. We just have to kind of reverse engineer it. So I wrote them in italics on your page. The lie would look like this. I can live however I please because I know God. And before you go, oh my gosh, I would never say that. Please. You think I'm going to let you off the hook when I won't let myself off the hook? How many of you are sitting there going, well, I could be worse because my neighbor's a real rapscallion. You should hear her gossip. You should see the way they, their kids run around town. I at least know God, so I'm not them. Seriously? I can live however I please because I know God. That is lying to others. See, the if-thens tonight are going to be three lies. This one is lying to others. So, <laughs> we'll find it eventually. Now, there's... Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he, again, who's he? Jesus. Yeah. Be like, so forget, forget that ad campaign, I want to be like Mike. No, heck with Mike. Be like Jesus. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Okay. Evidently, the he there was God, the Father. Because he mentions his son. So there's two things happening here. One of the blessings that Catholic Church has given us is the sign of the cross. Okay. 
I go to the nursing home every Sunday and do a worship service. It's almost a Lutheran or a Catholic worship service. I do not show up in a collar. I clearly have a wife and children. They try to call me father, and I, and I, I laugh. I'm like, well, I am a father. But I have to do the sign of the cross. Now, the sign of the cross is beautiful because we have, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, there's a, a vertical and a horizontal. We have that here in verse 7. A horizontal and vertical blessing. The horizontal blessing is we have fellowship. If we just walk like God, if we seek to know him and walk his way in his light, we're going to have fellowship with one another. And the, the vertical relationship, a holy God is going to forgive a sinful wretch like you. As dirty as you are, as wretched and sinful as you are, and by you I also mean me, you are purified by Jesus. I remember I had a kid in my youth group way, way long ago in my youth pastor days. He used to say to me, Joel, I can't come to Jesus right now. I'm just too dirty. Joel, you don't know. You just don't know. Let me get cleaned up first. Then Jesus will have me. It's like, I got to put the living room in order before company comes over. Oh, please. We know it. We, you have a dump room somewhere. You've got a junk drawer. We get it. Anytime someone comes over and you have to say, don't go in that room, please. We all get it. It's pretty much all of our story. I'm not clean enough for Jesus. I have to be clean before you come to Jesus. Wrong, 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 and wrong, and wrong. It's not possible at all. You can't be clean enough. You can't be. The blood of Jesus purifies you. That's why the hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. He did all the heavy lifting. All you can do is give a response. All you brought to salvation is your stinking sin that needed to be dealt with. Second area, light brings, light reveals, darkness hides. Light brings truth, darkness brings deception. Verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the second if then is this. If you claim that you no longer struggle with sin, then you're living a lie and you're communicating that you don't need God. You know, this kind of is jumping on the Pharisee bandwagon for a second because Jesus would talk about I, uh, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came for the sick, not the self-righteously healthy. And if you've ever had to check your attitude because you thought to yourself, oh my gosh, what is that person doing in this church? He's wearing that. How many tattoos are on his arm? Doesn't he know that you have to cl clean yourself up before you come to church? You have to be presentable to come to church. Hello? Well, who needs to be in church? You? You self-righteous bum? You or that person? That person needs Jesus. And believe it or not, you, with your, with your self-righteous attitude, it's me too. We need Jesus too. My goodness. Check that attitude. We've got to be careful about that. We want the stinky, the ones who reek of, like, okay, where have they been Saturday night? I don't care right now, but they're here, and let's give them Jesus. Let us show them love so they want to come back again. So they want to know this very God that ought to be giving us joy. If you claim that you no longer struggle with sin, right. Okay, all right. Then you're living a lie and communicating you don't need God. So the reverse engineered lie looks like this. Sin no longer matters to me because I know God. What would you do if somebody said that to you? You'd go, boy, you're lying to yourself. You might be thinking, well, it must be nice. I'd like to not struggle with sin. But get past that comment for one second. You see, the first, the first lie is lying to others. The second one is lying to yourself. And my response is always, I bet you're rather proud of yourself of that. Could be. Which probably, you know, makes us come right there. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
the ongoing public and private promise of verse 9. Some of us sin publicly. That needs to be a public confession. Some of us, most of us, sin privately. That needs to be a private confession. The Greek grammar is not a past tense thing. As in, I've done the confessing, now I'm good. Our Catholic friends, they would say it's more ongoing in the sense that you've got to keep going to confession. But then once you go to confession, you've done your confession. I don't like using the past tense with confession. Because I know that my sin is an everyday matter. My confession better be an everyday matter. There's no great timeline with God. Well, God, I, I went to my Bible study as a kid, and I said the sinner's prayer, and I did all my confessing and all that kind of stuff, and I should be good now, right? No. Because you keep sinning. John the Baptist says a clear, different word, repentance, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You need to be showing fruit on the tree of your life that you're repenting. Because if you don't, what are you communicating? Light reveals, darkness hides. Light brings truth, darkness brings deception. Light guides, darkness brings stumbling. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. Oh, no, you didn't. Make me out to be a liar, fine. Make my family out to be liars, all right, fine. Make God out to be a liar? The same God who claims to be the way, the what, and the life? Truth? Oh, you make him out to be a... John is bringing it. He is bringing... This is tough. You make him out to be a liar? His word is not in us. Ooh, double ouch. If then, number three, if you use God to justify your darkness, then you proclaim him to be darkness. Now, maybe you don't justify your sin. Some of you might. You might be saying things like, oh, it's not as bad as this one. Oh, you should hear my brother-in-law. You should hear what my coworker. he just never stops saying that word. Oh, my gosh, we can't get two minutes without the F word at work. Whatever it is. Think about that. You may have excuses for your sin. You may find yourself trying to justify, oh, and we do it like this too. Well, I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't do this anymore. I'm holding tough cards. I mean, come on, I'm going through a lot right now. I don't think God's going to care that I slip up right here. Because, I mean, come on. And they'll say that pop psychology nonsense. He's not going to give me more than I can handle. Wrong! Don't you ever believe that? It's not in the Bible. Theologically speaking, God's going to give you way much more than you can ever handle. Why? To bring you to Him. Life is not about you handling anything. And the closest verse that even remotely comes close is from 1 Corinthians 10 that talks about temptation and you always have a way out so you don't have to sin. That anything you face is common to man. That's it. Any other verse, you're not going to find it. God will give you more than you can handle. The goal is... You're not handling it. You're coming to God. You're being still and knowing that He is God. Oh, I'm just, oh, I'm holding tough cards. Life has thrown me a curveball. I just had this and this and this. So I know I shouldn't sin, but if you use God to justify your darkness and you proclaim Him to be darkness, the reverse engineered lie is this I no longer sin like I once did because of God. Look at that. He's made me good. God doesn't make any junk. Look what He's doing to me. He's making me less of a sinner than I once was. I doubt that. Yes, we have the theology of progressive sanctification, that God through the Holy Spirit is slowly and surely making you more like Jesus. There ought to be sins that you no longer do. There ought to be choices that you no longer make. But to say, because of God, I'm not a sinner anymore. I don't sin like I used to. Does it matter? You still sin. Is it God up there in heaven going, well, that, he's at least sinning better than he was before. I mean, he's, uh, he used to do this, but now he's doing this. Okay, I got to give him credit. He's not doing this anymore. No, 
There was no degradation of logic when it came to Adam and Eve in the garden. They went from the state of no sin to sin, and they're out. Holiness does not abide sin. You can't have sin in God's presence. That's why we need Jesus' sinless perfection to pay our price. So that God can look at you and me and see purity because of Jesus. Because if he doesn't see that, you're toast. This is hardcore. Light, light guys, darkness brings stumbling. The two actions of Jesus for you, number one, he's our advocate. It's not bad to think of him as like a defense attorney or something. He's up there and he's saying, yep, Father God. Because we, we know there's an accuser. That's a great Hebrew word, hasatan, the Satan. It means accuser. We first kind of get to know him as Satan in the book of, jo- in the book of Job. And, we, and Jesus gives him a proper name in the Gospels. The great dragon. The accuser of our brothers, the one leading us all astray, the great father of lies. Yeah, he's accusing you before God, the accuser. And with every sin, with every apostasy, with every trip, with every, ah, yes. You think he's one of yours, God? You think she is one of yours? Oh, please. They're doing that again, God. We'd be toast if we didn't have an advocate. The Pastor Joel, what's Jesus doing in heaven right now? He's praying for a bum like me. He's advocating for me. Even me. Jesus, do you know what I do you know what I've done? Do you know the kind of life I've lived, the choices I made? Do you know the hypocrite that I have been and many days still am? Do you know you're gonna advocate for me? Even me? Wow, that's love. Yeah, 1 John 1, 9. Don't you ever forget 1 John 1, 9. That needs to be something that, well, I'm not a Bible memorizer. Tough. I don't ever write Bible verses and put them in my house somewhere. Do it. Put it on your fridge. If you have a crafty grandma, counter cross-stitch that sucker. It needs to be somewhere in your house to remind you that when you confess your sins to God, those confessions just don't go blank up against the wall. That he is faithful. You are not faithful. You keep doing those same stinking sins every day. But your faithfulness is not on the table. God's faithfulness is. And that you get to take home to the bank. Don't you ever forget 1 John 1, 9. If you are one to forget it, how do you think you are? Fine. Go throughout this life and forget that promise. But I challenge you. This is one that you need to have at the ready. At the ready. Every prayer is based on 1 John 1, 9 in some way. Why God would listen to you? Because Jesus paid it all. It's an ongoing confession. It's a progressive every day. Okay. Let's close with this. He is our advocate. He is also our atonement. It's it's no surprise today is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I like to picture the Jewish atonement like this. I heard it put this to me in seminary, and this is going to date me. Some of you would get this analogy. Others of you that are a little bit younger than me are like, what are you talking about? I remember the days when I had a typewriter. I actually was right in that middle generation. I brought... I didn't have to bring a typewriter to school. I brought, my parents were, I thought were, they didn't have any money, but they, they still found a way to get me an electric typewriter. It had a little screen on it that our iPhone screens blow it out of the water, you know, a big old huge heavy electric typewriter. And it had a delete function. You could delete a little seat. You could see your paper on the screen and then you, you could type it out and then you could hit print and it would print it out. But, but, the days before when you had to have a typewriter, you had to have a can of whiteouts. Remember the whiteouts? <laughs> now, this is atonement for you. Here we go. Atonement is whiteout. You have your mistake on the paper, and you use the whiteout, okay? You, you, you mark up the spot you made a mistake. It covers it up nicely. Now you have what on your page? 
white. It's been removed. Or has it? No, it hasn't. All whiteout has done is made it so you can functionally use this paper again and turn in your assignment. It didn't get rid of your mistake. It's still there. It's just smeared over. It's just covered over. That's kipper. A smearing over. A covering over. That's atonement. It doesn't really fully and finally get rid of that sin. All these times of, of, of kipper, of atonement, all these times, the sin is never truly dealt with. It's just that a holy God made it possible through your sacrifice to make this relationship work, even though you've sinned. Until the day of atonement, when that sin, once a year, is symbolically dealt with. My brothers and sisters, I, I, I don't mean to be insulting of the book of Leviticus, which I love, by the way. Or the sacrificial system, which I count on, by the way, as the underpinnings of what Christ did. But kids, we have the Day of Atonement every day. Jesus paid it. First John 1, 9. He is our atonement. We don't have to wait all year to have that sin taken care of. He paid for our sin. He is our advocate. He's our atonement. Light reveals, darkness hides. Light brings truth. Darkness brings deception. Light guides. Darkness brings stumbling. Some blanks to fill in. Grab your trusty, dusty writing utensil. Darkness, the first one, darkness makes hypocrites. Well, that's a harsh word. Who do you think you are? Oh, please. A hypocritas in the Greek context was somebody on stage who put up a mask. And now they're, they're that person behind that character. We do this on Halloween. The kids wear, my son's got a Superman costume for Halloween. He's not Superman. But for Halloween, he's Superman. That's, that's, that's the hypocrite. The one who is on stage with the mask. And you know the real person is behind that mask. But for the sake of the play, you put up with it. You're like, okay, I get it. I get it. You're, you're, you're acting out like you're this person. You're Romeo. You're not really Romeo. You're not really Juliet. But for the sake of this time, you are Romeo and Juliet. You get it. But if you do that in your real life, that's what a hypocritas is, a hypocrite. Darkness makes that. I'm finding out that in my life. God has given me a wonderful wife who constantly works on me and reminds me of my shortcomings. And not in a, in a way which you think. She spurs me on to godliness. And I am grateful for that woman. I wake up every morning with something on my phone that goes bloop, gratitude. I'm grateful for my Jesus who paid my price. I'm grateful for my wife who models forgiveness in my life. Because I know in my struggle with sin, especially because I'm up here teaching. Oh yeah, hypocrite moment. Hello. I can't ignore this stuff because the moment I ignore it, I'm worse than any of you. In fact, I probably am. I like Paul when he called himself the worst of sinners. Okay, maybe he and I will argue about that someday. Can you imagine that? I'm the worst. How dare you? I'm the worst. Good day. I said good day. Jesus is over there going, you're in heaven, guys. Shut it. You know All right. Number two here, walk in the light. That is the easiest, cheesiest. Walk in the light. Come out of the darkness and be done with it. So it hurts. So you have to face yourself. I'm learning this. So you have to face yourself. So you have to face what you've been, who you've been. You want any peace in this life at all? Do you want to put the past in its place? Your only hope is to leave the darkness and walk in the light. That's it. You belong to celebrate recovery and facing yourself. Get out of denial. Walk in the light. That's your only chance of hope. That's your only chance of ever beating that anxiety. That's your only chance of ever going to sleep at night without having to have the TV on. Having to worry about numbing your pain. Walk in the light. Number three, as long as sin is part of your life, confession better be. Two, one, and two. My dear children, I write this to you so you will not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. John understands, though you are a Christian, though you are following Jesus, you are still going to sin. The goal is not to keep sinning. It's football season. Your team's marching down the field. Fumbles happen. In baseball, I'm sorry, the team I root for is still playing in the playoffs. As of this recording, they are. I hope they still are. They were ahead 13-1. It was a really great day to be a Cardinal fan. I'm just going to lay that out there. And for those of you who are gritting your teeth, I grew up downstate. Let me have something. Okay. Boo. Fair enough. Fair enough. I can't watch the NFL anymore because this is too political for me and I can't deal with it. And I played college football. But when someone fumbles, the entire defense goes, ball, fumble, sidelines, on the field. We all yell fumble and everything stops. What you're doing, you're looking around. Fumbles happen. You are going to sin. You are going to drop that ball. The goal is not keep sinning. In fact, don't sin. But when it does happen, you've got a chance. Because Jesus paid it all. He is advocating for you and your brokenness. He atoned for your very sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that all unrighteousness. What if I can't remember every single sin I've ever done? Does God get a, is he going to forgive it all? All unrighteousness. What if, what, what if, what if, what if, what if, confess them all? Martin Luther was famous for being in the confession box and we wearing out his confessor. He'd be there for hours. And, and the priest in the other part of the box was like, enough already. You're forgiven. Do some Hail Marys and be done with it. Because he was wanting to go every single thing he's done wrong and you will never remember them all. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Your attitude is confession. Okay, so I want to close with this. Sorry or not sorry. Turn, turn your page over, please. You've got eight. I'm going to pause for just two minutes now. First two tables up here, tables one and two, you've got numbers one, two, three, and four. Last two tables, you've got five, six, seven, and eight. Take a moment here. Read these, and I want, I want you to be able to find out, to figure out, to proclaim. Is this person saying this line, sorry? Are they truly confessing, repentant, or something else? Is it a way to confess or a way to escape? Talk amongst yourselves. Taking a moment here and having another table discussion. Sorry or not sorry. All right. 
We'll start with one, two, three, and four. So tables one and two. So tables three and four, you can relax a little bit. <laughs> tables one and two, I need to know, and I, and I just, just shout it out. You're going to shout out yes, or you're going to shout out no. Is this a good confession, or is this person trying to escape? Now, it was brought up to me, I, I, I overheard this as we were discussing, that it all depends upon the tone of voice. And it depends upon their attitude. Maybe. But I want you to think of yourself as you answer yes or no here. You have been wronged. And by God's grace, the person that you need to talk to is there before you. And they're saying this line to you. Are you going to feel like, oh, or not? So number one, it's unfortunate that this happened to you. Seriously? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty bad. You confronted them on their sin. Yeah, that's really bad. Boy, that's just really bad. My goodness, that's unfortunate. Oh, and, and, and by the way, anyone who ever offers an apology with, I'm sorry you feel this way, that's just as bad. Oh, please. That's an I love you but. Remember that from last week? Some of you are like, I'm going to come one more time. But that I love you but really made me mad. <laughs> if you say I love you but, don't, don't be talking about love. You're going to give me a but. Any kind of a conjunction to that sentence. I love you better have an and. Don't give me a yet. Or don't give me a but. Or don't give me an or. You can't really have an or. That'd be weird. But All right. That's not to know. It's unfortunate this happened to you. Number two. Number two is a little bit more empathy. All right, tables one and two. I am so sad that this happened to you. That's a better start. Especially if you sinned against someone, you ought to be grieved. But I'm so sad. Yeah, we all said, yeah, that was it. Okay, all right, good job. Uh, number three. Number three is almost... The proverbial girlfriends going out for salads, the three of them show and they gossip about the one who didn't show. They all talk about their life. And oh, can you believe he did this? Oh, girlfriend, I completely sympathize with you. What happened was so wrong. Does that sound pretty sorrowful? No. Well, see, if it just ends with that, I sympathize with you. You sinned against me. I don't want you to sympathize with me. That's not going to get me to sleep at tonight. I mean, yeah, all you had. So I sympathize with you. I, 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 what happened was so wrong. Yeah. See, it's just like the scenario is, is, is that was so wrong. That's not taking responsibility for what you've done. It's still in a way of an escape. You're getting them to go. Yeah, he gets it. Okay, all right. No. Number four, it's such a shame that you are going through this. Again, you're not wrong. Most likely it is. But yes or no? No. Gosh, are we having a good one? Table three and four. Here we go. Number five. I have sinned against you. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Yes or no? Yes. All right, good. If you, if you are going to confess your sins, you need to confess. If you are the hero of your confession, you're wrong. Oh, he's going to think better of me because I confessed. Shut it. That's not a confession. It's not. You're the hero of your own story. When does that ever work out? If you're the hero, how is Jesus the hero? I have sinned against you. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Number six, I am completely at fault here. And I apologize. Yes or no? Do we like that one? Almost. Ah, almost. All right, good answer. This is like Family Feud. They, they give the worst answers of all time, and they all have to contractually go, good answer, yeah, good answer. Like, seriously, he just guessed underwear. You know, good answer. Yeah, you know, there's something good here. Yeah, I was complete. I am completely at fault here, and I apologize. Okay, you know, but you're not really taking. It's 
it's just, it needs something else. It's missing what I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Because will you please forgive me? What does that do? That means, that's like, that's like what I described what love is all about. Love is taking your heart and giving it to someone else. And they can crush it or they can not crush it. When you say, will you please forgive me? They can say, heck no, be gone. And we're done. And that's the risk. This is, I don't think this goes just far enough. Some of you might say, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm sick of getting these other ones. I'll take this one. I don't know. Number seven, I am unhappy about or I regret the pain and inconvenience you've been caused. What do you think, guys? Yes or no? Ah, That's weak sauce. Think, oh, you're not really confessing. You're just looking for an escape. You're looking for a manipulative p- play there. You're, you're looking for, with saying something like that, you're hoping they go, thank you. You get it. Okay, you really understand. All right. No. Finally, this situation has filled me with regret. I regret this situation. What do we think? This one's almost comical. <laughs> yes or no? No, yeah, you're going to like throw tomatoes at that one. You see, when you confess, you've got to confess a certain way. It never makes you look good. It's not meant to. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know, in theory, I, I suppose uh, the number of words that come out of my mouth in a day, I've sure to have offended somebody. And so in that unlikely scenario or what have you, please forgive. Uh, please. Yes, you got it, buddy. That's exactly it. Your confession is not a time to wiggle off the hook. It's a time to get out of the darkness and come into the light. It hurts. It sucks. It's painful. And it, it, it's like, I'll never get over this. No, if you don't do it, you'll never get to sleep again. You will constantly find ways to cope and get around this. And you'll run to the escapes of life and numb your pain. Jesus wants you to have life and have it in the fullest. But that only happens when you leave the darkness and come to the light. And you can only do that if Jesus has paid it all. I told you before, beforehand tonight, tonight was going to change your life. And it ain't because I'm speaking. It's because 1 John 1, 9 rocks your socks. It is the verse to hold on to. If ever you're feeling down, ever you're feeling, okay, God will never forgive me, wrong. This person should never forgive me. If they only knew what I... Wrong. One day when the roll is called up yonder, as the hymn says, one day you're going to have to give an account. You're going to stand before Almighty God. First John 1, 9 is going to be there. God's not going to ask, you were holding tough card. So what did you do? Did you confess your sin? Because if you did and you meant it, he's faithful and just. We take that to the bank. This has been Big Rev and Masterclass Theology from 1 John 1 and 2. See you next week.